Good morning. We've got two readings this morning. The first one is from Psalm 17, the prayer of David, and the second one is from Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 17. So that's Psalm 17, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 17. Hear our Lord my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. May my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. And as for the deeds of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. My steps have held to your paths, my feet have not slipped. I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear to my prayer. Show the wonder of your great love, you who say by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who assail me, from my mortal enemies who surround me, they close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. They have tracked me down, they now surround me, with eyes alert to throw me to the ground. They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a great lion crouching in cover. Rise up, O Lord, confront them, bring them down. Rescue me from your wicked by your sword. O Lord, by your hand save me from such men, from men of this world whose reward is in this life. You still hunger of those who cherish. Their sons have plenty, and they store up wealth for their children. And I, in righteousness, I will see your face, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 17. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for those joys set before them endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who enjoyed such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as a son, for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone goes under discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father our spirit and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, for those who have been trained for it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, 
so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessings with tears. You may remember that I've been preaching through the Psalms and we have got to Psalm 17. It seems as though I'm scheduled to preach again in September so you can guess which Psalm it might be. 18. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for the joy and the truth which we find there. And we pray that you will help us with Psalm 17 this morning. We pray that we will benefit from it and that benefit will show forth in our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I hope that many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's classic. Now you can read it on your iPad if you like, or you can read a book. Uh, this, it's a, this is a modern English uh, effort to bring Pilgrim's Progress up to date. I don't think they've done a very wonderful job. I prefer the 17th century version, frankly, but if you if you don't think you can handle 17th century English, uh, you can buy the book. The story begins with a man named Christian. Overwhelmed with the struggles of life in his home, the city of destruction, he carries his burden on his back as he sets off to reach the peace and security of the distant celestial city. Christian's journey is difficult. He faces distractions, challenges and perils at every turn of the way. Eventually, with helpful guides, he finds victory. But to do so, he must stay on the narrow path. At one point on the journey, he comes to the foot of hill difficulty. He begins to go up the hill, saying, The hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go, than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. That's a sample. 
the observer says from Christ, uh, of Christian, I began to see him go up the hill. I perceived he fell from running to going and from going to clambering upon his hands and his knees because of the steepness of the place. This is the road of every Christian. For me and for you, if you apply the name Christian to yourself. Psalm 17. God's man is facing difficulties. God's man is facing difficulties. Verses 1 to 5. Hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. David is not claiming to be perfect or to be sufficiently good for God to owe him a favour. He knows that the godly life is the result of God's grace. Any Christian who knows his Bible is aware of Ephesians 2 beginning at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But David is saying that he is a member of God's covenant people. And he is essentially devoted to God. He wishes to please and obey his God. These are the responsibilities of a member of God's covenant people. And when difficulties arise, God expects his man to call on God for help. This God is the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who saves by his right hand. So David calls on God for help. He prays, Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. The difficulties that you and I face might be huge, like the hill difficulty faced by Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. 
But our God is stronger than Satan and is eager to help his covenant people. Perhaps your income has dropped over the past two years due to COVID-19 and all the restrictions that we've had to endure. Perhaps your close family relationships have deteriorated. Maybe some family contact has stopped altogether. David refers to his oppressors and then he prays, They are like a lion hungry for prey, like a fierce lion crouching in cover. And his prayer, Rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down. With your sword rescue me from the wicked. By your hand save me from such people, Lord, from those of this world whose reward is in this life. The Christian's reward is primarily in the next one, in the next life, not in this one. So, God's man rests in God's covenant love. God's man rests in God's covenant love. And it doesn't matter whether it's Pilgrim in the 17th century or David in 1000 BC or you today. If you're God's man or woman of course you are to rest in God's covenant love. In verse 7 I've changed the NIV's great love to the ESV's steadfast love. And I've done this quite deliberately because the love spoken about here is not ordinary love but God's covenant love. The love which he shows to his chosen people. And unfortunately the the, the NIV hides that truth. Verse 7 Show me the wonders of your steadfast love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Now we've been going through Genesis. You know that in the Old Testament period Yahweh chose Abraham's descendants to be his very own people even though they had not done anything to earn this choice. He established a covenant with them in which he made the promises and the covenant people needed to respond to this grace of God with obedience. In the New Testament period, the Trinitarian God chose us in Christ to be his new Israel, even though we have not done anything to earn this choice. Can you see the link between the Old and the New Testaments? The covenant, God's covenant people, God's covenant people. Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us 
for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What's happening in Psalm 17 is that one of God's Old Testament covenant people who is in serious trouble rests in the covenant relationship and expects, he expects Yahweh to respond. You and I have been incorporated into God's people via the work of the Holy Spirit in us and our faith in Christ. We may approach approach Almighty God with the same confidence and for the same reason because we are his covenant people. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 17 Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me from my mortal enemies who surround me. The psalmist calls on God and asks for a further display of his covenant mercy, such as God had shown in acts of deliverance at the time of the Exodus. Remember, when God's covenant people were in captivity in Egypt, they cried out to Yahweh for help and he saved them. The psalmist isolates himself from the wicked, for in contrast to them, he has kept to Yahweh's words, and his steps have followed Yahweh's paths. Verse 4 Though people tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent, through what your lips have commanded. My steps have held to your paths, my feet have not stumbled. The basis of his appeal is the covenant bond. Verse 9 Show me the wonders of your steadfast love, you who save by your right hand those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who are out to destroy me, from my mortal enemies who surround me. David knew that Yahweh saves those who take refuge in him. Today, the Christian, God's man, knows the same thing. Don't you love that beautiful picture of God's care and concern for his people in verse 8? Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Have you ever had the opportunity of watching a mother hen with four or five chicks in the, in the garden She scratches for worms and they are scratching tiny little bit over here, little bit over here, little bit over here. Uh, when my wife and I lived at Talur in Vanuatu, one of the common things that we saw were chooks running around the campus scratching in the gardens. And 
I would sometimes see a mother hen scratching, scratching, scratching and about a, a metre or a metre and a half behind were little chicks running after to try and keep up. Now if I opened the door of my house she would instantly give a cry and the chicks would run and, and try and shelter under her wings if they weren't too many in number. That picture reminds us of the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing That is the covenant God, God the Son, speaking. Psalm 17, the covenant God, Yahweh speaks, God the Father, if you like. In Matthew 23, it's God the Son, still the covenant God, the Trinitarian God of the Bible. Christian, you and I have the wonderful privilege of being adopted chicks of this great God. The protection of the divine wings is ours as it was for God's man in the Old Testament. Our psalm draws to a close and we see it finishing with a glimpse of life after death. The ultimate covenant Reward. Verse 15. As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. God's man looks forward to satisfaction beyond the grave. God's man looks forward to satisfaction beyond the grave. God's actual presence then would be joy and satisfaction for God's man. The Old Testament only contains hints, a hint here, a hint there, of life after death. But we Christians are in a much better position. We have wonderful picture after wonderful picture of life after death in the New Testament. Perhaps my favourite, and I'm going to impose it upon you, see if it's a burden. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain 
for the old order of things has passed away. When you and I leave this place today, we realise that like God's man in Psalm 17, we might be unjustly persecuted. We might experience sickness, the loss of loved ones, financial stresses, being let down by friends, family, workplaces. If you are an adopted child of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the great privilege of praying for deliverance, of asking for the shelter of the mother hen. But what about our day-to-day lives? What can we do after lunch today? When we wake up tomorrow morning, when we head off to work or off to, off to school, no, it's holidays, isn't it? Whatever we do when it's school holidays these days. When we care for our families and so on. The Bible's answer, which we find in Hebrews chapter 12, is Christian, keep your eyes on Jesus. Christian, keep your eyes on Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I leave you with that thought. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen.